Welcome to the Tabernacle. Uh, my name is Britton, and I'm going to be honest with you, I hate cows. Um, I'm just, I'm going to tap into kind of the thing John talked about last week. This is free therapy for us as uh, pastors here at the Tabernacle, so you guys get to be a part of 35 minutes of me letting out my pain and anguish towards cattle. Um, yeah, I hate cows. I, I grew up on a beef ranch in northeast Oklahoma, um, but I didn't always live there. My mom got remarried when I was 13 years old, and when I was 13, we moved from the city to this ranch in northeast Oklahoma. And I remember when we moved there, I was pumped, like so excited because we were moving to this place like we had hundreds of acres. And the first time I ever met this guy, he gave me a gun. Like I was so pumped to move to this ranch because it was like, we're going to shoot stuff. This guy cooks steak for every meal. Like ranch life, this sounds kind of nice. Quickly, I found out that I hate cows. I hate them. I cannot say this enough to you. There is nothing in this world that I don't like more than cows. And I've made it a personal mission of my own to eat every single one of them. Like I am on a mission to get rid of cows. I'm telling you, I cannot stand these things. Because the thing about cows, because most of you in here are like, but they're so cute though. Right? I heard one of you say it, so don't, don't act like you didn't say that. Everybody's like, they're so cute. They're such cool animals. What did they ever do to you? They just eat grass. Like, cows are the worst. But I remember growing up, there were certain things about cows that people don't see when you just go get a cheeseburger or when you eat that steak from the grocery store. You see, cows are something that are a lot of work. They're a ton of work. And I'm a city boy, obviously. Like you can see my ankles. If Bill's in here, I'm sorry, Bill. But you can see my ankles right now. Like obviously I'm cut from a different cloth than the normal everyday cowboy. And my stepdad is, he's like Tom Selleck, mustache, like a bad dude, like cows. Like I've seen him punch cows. It's crazy. But I remember we moved in with this guy and he's like, all right, boys, we're going to go work cows. He always used to joke, the only reason I married your mom is because she had two sons. I needed help. So (laughs) sorry, Jerry, I let you down. But I remember we used to always have to go work the cows, and, and the cows, you'd have to put them in the chute. And I mean, we had hun- I mean, hundreds of cows that go through there, using the bathroom. It's just disgusting. Cows are awful. But the worst part about cows is when they get out. When the cows get out, there's nothing worse. Because there is not a thing going on in your schedule that is more important than cows that are out. And as a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid, when the cows got out, it, I mean, it was all forces, get on the four-wheelers. We didn't, we didn't have horses. I've, I'd never get on a horse. That's animal cruelty for me. <laughs> Ask a horse to carry me around, right? But we get on the four-wheelers in the ranger, all this stuff, and we had to get the cows back in. There was nothing. Like, I could show up to school two hours late. Uh, Britton, why are you tired today? Cows were out. Okay, you're good. I used to use that all the time, too. Can I just confess that to you? But when the cows were out, there was work to be done, and it was get the cows back in, because they were our livelihood. They were how we continued to eat as a family. They were how we continued to pay the bills. Cows were a big part of our family. And my family jokes around that the only reason I moved to Michigan was to get away from them. But yeah, I hate cows, because they're so inconvenient. But, but there was something about this man that was now a, a, a fatherly figure in my life that when we were sitting in the living room or sitting at the table or you have your phone and you get the, you're playing Call of Duty and you're killing it and then your stepdad texts you, cows are out, neighbor just called. Dang it. I hate these things. But you drop everything and you go get the cows. 
And it doesn't matter if it's going to take you 30 minutes or 30 days. When the cows are out, you get the cows back in. It was a simple, simple rule that we learned really early on living on this ranch in Northeast Oklahoma. And you say some dumb things when the cows are out, right? Anybody in here that's a rancher, you're like, Sook, Evs, like, come on. It's like, what is he talking about? Like, you got a bucket of food? Like, I'm going to start not answering calls and maybe people will show up with a bucket of food and bring me nothing. Not going there. It's all good. But yeah, I hate cows. They're inconvenient. And when they get out, everything stops. It's inevitable that when I go home for Christmas, the cows will get out. And I'm going to be out there in some all white Air Force Ones with my ankles out chasing cattle. And I'm going to get made fun of and I'm going to talk about it in my next sermon too. So if that was too much for you, don't worry. Hopefully I get back up here and I'll tell you more. But the cows get out and life ceases until the cows get back in. And in 1 Samuel 9, we see something very similar to this. It's not cows, but it's donkeys. And there's this moment when this man named Saul, right? It says in in scripture that, that he's head and shoulders bigger than everyone else, the most handsome man in all of Israel, you're not going to go there with me? That's okay. My mom thinks that. She said I have a face for radio. So, but it says that his father comes to him and he says, Saul, the donkeys are out, son. Go get one of the sermons or go get one of the servants and you get the donkeys back in. And Saul doesn't skip a beat. Even though I imagine, I don't know very many people that get excited when livestock is out, but the donkeys are out. This is their livelihood. This is how they make money. And there's a task at hand. Saul's father called him and he said, son, the donkeys are out. Get a servant. Go get the donkeys. And so Saul goes on this journey to get these donkeys back for his father. And and as you study and you look at some of these cities and these areas that they went to, they covered a span of about 25 miles long and about 12 miles wide that they were looking for these donkeys. And they didn't have four-wheelers and rangers and all of these things. These dudes were hooving it on foot because they have no donkeys to look for donkeys. The donkeys were out. They were walking all over trying to find their father's donkeys. And there's a moment within this that Saul looks at his servant that came with him, and he's like, dude, dad's probably worried about where we're at. Like, they're gone. The donkeys are just gone. We're We're not going to find them. We've walked everywhere, all over the countryside. We're in this mountainous terrain. The donkeys are gone. And the servant says to Saul, he says, hold on, wait a second. I know there's this seer in town that we can go talk to, and maybe he knows where the donkeys are. Maybe this seer knows where the donkeys are. Seer is just another way in the Old Testament that they say prophet. There's this prophet in town that maybe he knows where your father's donkeys are. And in this moment, I think we see something really cool beginning to happen. We see God begin drawing Saul. Drawing Saul to him. He's drawing him. And maybe you don't see it because it's like, dude, it's just donkeys. That's what Saul thought too. It was just donkeys. But as we look at what is God's providence, it's his will working out around us in our everyday lives. And so a lot of us in here maybe are struggling seeing how God can be drawing us to himself because it's just stay-at-home mom. 
It's just time and a half for the eighth month in a row. It's just 2020. How are you seeing God drawing us to him in the middle of all of that? Well, it was just donkeys. And I think there's three things here that we'll see that God draws us to himself with. That God's providence is on display in our lives through these different things that we see in 1 Samuel 9. So the question is, how do we see God work today? First, we see God work in our circumstances. We see God work in our circumstances. And I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know where you're at currently. But I know the question you need to be able to answer before you leave is not where do you hope to be or not where do you want to go, but where are you at right now? Where are you at right now? Are you troubled? Are you juiced? Are you just looking for donkeys? Is it mundane? Are you tired? Where are you at? No one can answer that question for you but the person in your seat. No one. But all of us need to be able to take inventory in our lives of where am I at right now? Because what if God's trying to use me right where I'm at? And I keep getting in the way because I'm like, no, God, you don't want to use me right where I'm at. Wait till I get to where I'm going, then we'll be ready. No, God, you don't want to use me right now because the kids are still in school and I'm so busy with that. So just when they all turn 18 and we're empty nesters, then we'll do it. Well, you're going to move to Florida whenever that happens. So where's God got you at right now? What are your circumstances? I think one thing that we're all guilty of is turning on autopilot in the middle of the mundane, in the middle of the parts of life that we're just used to. And although 2020 has been a heck of a year, I think we're all just kind of getting used to it. It's becoming kind of mundane. And we've all just turned autopilot on. And we've stopped trying to see what God's trying to do in our lives. We're just waiting for it to be over and for a reset button. What if, in the midst of your autopilot, God's asking you to raise the next missionary to go to the unreached? What if, in the midst of your autopilot, God's asking you to be an answer for the hope that you have right there in that work truck with your buddy? What if in the midst of your autopilot, when you go to hunting camp on November 15th, God's asking you to stand in his glory? What if in the midst of your autopilot, God's trying to use your circumstances and you're just wishing them away? Who are we to wish away where God has us right now? I know I'm guilty of it. 
I know when I moved here, I was so excited to get to start with like this fresh, clean slate doing student ministry in this new place. For those of you that don't know, I'm our student ministries pastor at our Manistee campus, but I also get the pleasure of doing a lot of cool stuff here at our Buckley campus. But I remember moving here, coming from my last job and being like, man, clean slate, new staff, new leadership. It's go time. It's go time. And then that I moved here on Friday and on Sunday we quarantined. <laughs> and then it is my fault. I heard you. It's my fault. You're right. It was me. It was the cow. I guarantee you it was the cows. That's right. But I moved here and I remember my clean slate got really mundane all of a sudden. This excitement and this joy that I felt to be in this new place became repetitive all of a sudden. It was the same thing day after day after day. And I wasted week after week after week wishing for a reset instead of fixing my eyes to Jesus in the midst of my circumstances. Where's he got you at right now? Are you just looking for donkeys? Are you just sitting in line waiting for the kids to get out of school? You working 70 hours a week? Are you counting down the days till rifle season? Where's he got you at right now? And what are you waiting on? What are we waiting on? So Saul talks to his servant, and in the midst of that, his servant says, Hold on, hold on, hold on. There's a seer. Let's go see this dude. And then Saul's like, I don't know if we should go see him. I don't want us to get this twisted. Like, this is kind of comical what's happening here in 1 Samuel 9. Like, they want a king, go look for donkeys. <laughs> you don't see it, I do. I think it's hilarious. In the midst of all of this, you're asking for this king. We want a king. I got you a king. But Saul isn't seeking God, so I don't want us to get that twisted in the midst of this. Saul is looking for donkeys. There's no theological underlying here. The man's dad's donkeys are out and he wants to get them back. And he's tired of walking. And his servant, everybody has that buddy. Maybe it's your hunting buddy when it's like, dude, we haven't seen anything all weekend. Let's just go home. One more sit. Just one more. I promise today's the day, right? Or when you're fishing and you do the five-minute rule, it's like, if we don't catch anything in five minutes, we're out. And then that guy's like, all right, five more minutes. The servant's kind of like this right here. So I was like, dad's probably getting anxious we're not back yet because dad loves me because I'm his most handsome son and he wants me back at the house and uh, we need to go. And the servant's like, no, hold on. What if we go ask this seer? And then Saul immediately finds another excuse. He's like, well, what are we going to pay this man of God if he actually gives us the information we're looking for? And the servant's like, bro, I got five bucks. Let's go see this guy. Let's go see this guy. We'll give him a $5 bill, right? It's, not, it's like shillings or something like that. It's $5, all right? Martin told me, so if it's not Martin, not me. <laughs> but it's five bucks. He's like, we're gonna give this guy five bucks and we're gonna see if he knows where the donkeys are. And God continues to draw Saul to him. Continues to draw Saul. And this brings us to our second point is God uses Community. How can we see God working in our lives through our community? 
What are we surrounding ourselves with? In the midst of the mundane, are we just surrounding ourselves with yes men that are like, yeah, your life is miserable. Keep complaining. It won't get any better. Or are we stepping outside the box to get closer to people that are fixing their eyes to Jesus? Because sometimes when it's just donkeys, it gets tiring. But then you got that guy that's like, five more minutes, man, let's keep going. Five more minutes, we'll find him. Let's keep going. I think he's got an answer. Let's keep going. And so they keep going. They go to find this seer, and it says that they're walking, and, and Saul says to his servant, he's like, well said, come on, let's go. Like, he acts like it's his idea at that point. He's like, yeah, well said, all right, let's go. I gave you permission for us to go. Come on, let's go. And so they go, and it says they run into this group of women going to draw water at this well. So they're going to find this seer. They see this group of women going to draw water. It's probably hot. They've been walking all day, and they're like, hey, hey ladies, you know where that seer's at? The who? What are you talking about? <laughs> like These guys are sweaty, gross, looking for donkeys, been all over the mountainside. They walk up to these ladies. Hey, the group of women going to get water. You know where the seer's at? And they said, yeah, he's headed up. They're about to do this sacrifice thing up on the mountain, and he's got to be there to bless the mill before they can even do it. But if you hurry, I bet you can catch him. And in that moment, Saul runs into more community, more people that are encouraging him to keep going. They're pushing him along. Hurry, keep going. Don't slow down now, you're almost there. Mom, you're almost there. I don't know why 2020 is so hard to raise kids in. But you're doing a good job. Keep going. Keep going. I know circumstances don't make sense all the time, but how are we surrounding ourselves with a community of people that are encouraging us in the midst of it? How are we surrounding ourselves with a community of people that are fixing our eyes to Jesus as they fix theirs to Jesus? Because he surpasses a hope that has any understanding. But my question is, what's your community? Is it Facebook? Is that where you find your hope? Is that where you interact with people? Or is it Fight Club? Is it Tab Women? Are you pushing your kids to go find community outside of just what they're seeing on Instagram and TikTok and at school? How do we see God working in our lives? Community. Because we get encouraged by that stuff. That's why we don't do anything alone. In the midst of the mundane of that story I was telling you, I would show up and I'd, we'd do this online foundry thing and Martin was so excited and there was nothing I could do but be excited. But as you can continue to surround yourself with people that are on fire for Jesus, that are pushing you towards him, that are telling you he's right there, keep going. We begin to see God a little bit better in our circumstances, in the everyday mundane pieces of our lives. And so Saul keeps going. Him and the servant, they go and, and um, they, they see Samuel. And Samuel is at this high place. And I'm imagining by this point, these dudes have got to be dog tired. It's been like three days. 
They've been looking for donkeys. Nothing else. Saul didn't even have money. His servant had five bucks. So I don't know what they were eating or drinking. But they've been looking for donkeys for a long time. And they're like, okay, this seer, he's up here. He better know where these donkeys are, servant, or you are done. Because I wanted to go back, and you wanted to keep going. We're going to keep going. And so they show up, and I, and, and I don't want to skip past this part. They see Samuel. They see Samuel coming out toward them, and, and it says, verse 15, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people. I love that. I love that word. You wanted a king, I got you a prince. I'm the only king. I'm your only king. How many of us are freaking out because we think we got a new king? There's only one king. There's only one king. They said, we want a king. It's been a whole chapter. And God says right there, you shall anoint him to be their prince because I'm the only king. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, that's a tough one, saw Saul, the Lord told him, here's the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. That doesn't seem that exciting. <laughs> Honestly. So yeah, he's going to restrain them. We're not going to thrive. They wanted a king. Here's a prince. He'll restrain them. Who are we letting lead us? In the midst of the mundane, who's on our throne? Who's on our throne? Where's your hope lie? And I know we talked about this last week, but I think it warrants being said again. There's only one king, and he's worthy of everything. So Samuel hears all of this, and Saul's still just looking for donkeys. Isn't God cool like that? I think a lot of us in here, as we think about these mundane moments of our life, we think about these moments in our life when we're just looking for donkeys, man. What's God trying to do in your life? What's God working behind the scenes that you have no idea about? How's he moving? What's he setting up? Because I promise you it's more than donkeys. It's more than donkeys. But so many of us get stuck staring at what's right in front of us. And we just, we can't even fathom what life outside of this difficulty or this circumstance or this lifestyle we're living looks like that we miss God altogether. What if he's just asking you to be obedient to the circumstances you're in? What if he's just asking you, please quit wishing away everything I'm putting in front of you and take advantage of one of them? 
I think so many of us, myself included, spend so much time praying for God to take things away instead of praying, God, let me see you in the middle of it. Let me take, take advantage of this situation you've given me, even if it hurts, even if it's just donkeys, even if it's mundane. But we spend all our time wishing away God's will in our life because we don't like it, because it doesn't make sense to us. My question to you is, do you think Peter knew that that was going to be his last cast? When Jesus met him on the boat, and he said, throw one more out there. And then he pulls up his last cast, and Jesus said, you're fishing for men now, son. What if you're on your last cast? What if you're right on the edge of what God's trying to do with your life, and you're just wishing it away? What if he's asking for one more step? One more step in the mundane and he's going to blow it up. And we're spending all our time on our knees wishing it away. Hating where he has us. What if he's asking for one more step? One more yes. What if he's just asking for obedience? This is what we talked about with Foundry this week. Well, I don't know why, because I'm a student pastor, I love kids, and it's so easy for us as adults, myself included, to be like, kids, this is good for you. Listen to Jesus, he'll change your life. But when you turn 18, take it into your own hands. When you turn 18, you take control, and then let him show up where you can't handle all of it. And then we get to that point, right? Of Pe- this is Peter in the boat. He's like, get away from me, God. You don't want me anymore. You can't use me. He's like, just cast one more time, bro. I'll blow your life up. Quit thinking I need you to show up. Too many of us think we have something to offer. <laughs> Can I just be honest? Myself included. Sometimes I think I have a lot more to offer God than I do. I don't even know what this has to do with the sermon, but... He wants to use you. He wants you to take a step. How naive would it be for us to think that a man that sent his son to die on a cross did all that so you could sit right there and not do anything with it? That he would do all that so you could sit in the mundane parts of your life and just get bored? It's because our, we've, we've missed where we're focusing. He uses donkeys we got to start looking for him. Too many of us are stuck. We're stuck. It's a good way to describe, I think, the American church. Stuck, and we don't care about getting out. The truck's comfy. It's muddy out there. I'm not getting out. My air forces might get wet. It's messy out there. I want to stay in this comfortable truck, even though it's stuck. And it ain't going nowhere. Instead, God's like, why don't you get out? Dig a little bit around those tires and get to work because there's more in front of us. It's time to get unstuck, church. It's time to understand that 
that maybe you're not stuck? What if you're doing exactly what God's called you to, but you've stopped asking him to be a part of it because you don't feel like it's significant? What if God wants you to be a mom? What if God wants you to work 75 hours a week? Because on that work site, you can be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have in the midst of 2020. Because you're raising five kids that can go be an answer for the hope that they have in a school full of kids that are obsessed with an election that they can't even vote in. I was at the Kingsley football game today. A bunch of like 10-year-olds walked behind me. Would you hear about who the president is? Go get a ring pop. What are you talking about? But we've put it all on them. Because we don't want to give an answer for the hope that we have. Because I don't think we know what that answer is anymore. How do we see God work today? Through his commands. Through his commands. How do we see God work today? Through his commands. God showed up in the midst of looking for donkeys. And he said, Samuel, you'll know him when you see him. Taller than everybody else, more handsome. That's the prince I'm giving him. And then Samuel sees him. And Saul's like, hey, you that cedar? Samuel's like, yeah, we found your donkeys three days ago. Calm down. We got other things to worry about. He said, the donkeys are found. There's more at hand. When's the, when's the last time in the midst of the mundane we just asked God, will you take care of this? And how quickly he'll take care of it. But instead, we try to shoulder it, and we try to carry this whole thing, and then whenever we get stuck, and we're down in the mud, and we can't go anymore, then it's like, Lord, I need you, man, to get this for me, right? Our media guy, David Hoflinger, this week, he said, so many of us want God to be a part of our lives when it comes to the cost of death, but we don't want him to interfere with our daily living. So many of us want God to intervene when it comes to the cost of death, but we don't want him to interfere with our daily lives. What's he trying to do when you leave here tonight? Why are we all just waiting for the next mission trip or the next? We're not even waiting for that. We don't even want to do that anymore. We're like, oh, 2024, we'll try again. Church, there's work to be done in the mundane. There's work right in front of us. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Why don't we just get to work? Why why don't we just stop wishing for something greater, more butts in the seats, and just get after it? What if every person in this room decided the mission was worth it and they just got after it this next week? What if? What if you getting after it is just being the best mom in the world and raising kids that love Jesus? No matter what. What if it's showing up 80 hours a week, but every single time, some guy's like, man, you're different. Yeah, man, Jesus. And you share the gospel. You do more than the, yeah, I go to church. 
You give an answer for the hope that you have. The tabernacle's not your hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. Why won't we share it? I think we like the mundane. I think we like just looking for donkeys and not asking God to be a part of it. Because sooner or later, we'll get tired of looking for donkeys and we'll just go back to the house. How do we know, or how do we see what God's up to today? Through his commands. What's he commanding us to do? Pretty cut and dry in the New Testament. (laughs) Love God. Love people. Make disciples. Go. Teach them to obey. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'll do the rest. The harvest is plentiful. Laborers are few. He didn't even ask us to do any of the work. He's like, just go harvest it. I dug in already and did all that. What's he commanding us to in the mundane? How can you bring God's commands into your everyday life? Because so many of us think that God's commands only apply to Wednesdays or Sundays or Thursdays at Bible study. God's commands apply at Meyer. God's commands apply on Facebook. God's commands apply in your home with your family. No, I am the law at my house. That's what my mom would say. And then she'd hit me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Therapy. Mom, I'm just kidding. I love you. I know you're going to watch this. (laughs) She's going to be so mad. Oh, man. God's commands apply everywhere. Not just when we want them to. Not just when they make sense. Not just when we can see him. Everywhere. There's a sermon that we watch as a staff here. And in the middle of it, he says, Jesus didn't die to be a part of your ministry. And church, Jesus didn't die to be a part of your life. He died to be everything. He died to be everything to you. So as we look at these things, how do we see God work today through our circumstances? Donkeys. Even the little things. Through our community. People that are helping us fix our eyes back to Jesus. Even when maybe they're just telling us, keep looking for donkeys. Who knows how he's going to use them. And third, and I think most importantly, through his commands. And as you continue reading, Saul Even, he's like, "Eh, I don't know if you want me, bro. Do you remember what tribe I'm from? Remember in Judges? We were those guys. (laughs) We were the Benjamites. We messed everything up, right? We're not a good tribe. I don't know why you want me. I'm not, no. Same as like, come eat with us. And they get there. And, And it says, so the cook took up the leg and what was on it. And he set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you. Eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Through all of that, through donkeys, through a servant, through some women going to get some water, through arguing with the prophet, there was an hour appointed it was time to eat. 
Don't miss the meal, church. Don't miss the meal. Keep going. Don't miss the meal. Because I'm here to tell you, he can and he will. Are you in? He can and he will. Are you in? Don't miss what God's trying to do in the mundane. Don't miss what God's trying to do in the midst of the chaos of 2020. Let's not wait for it to be over. Let's keep it pushing. What do you think? Will you bow your heads with me? Don't get discouraged by life. Let's not get frustrated by the interruptions and the setbacks. Don't get discouraged by the daily grind. Christ died for you to make you his very own. You may feel like you're out looking for donkeys, but God's building a kingdom. You never know how God's going to use your life and actions for his glory. God's at work in the ordinary. He's at work in the details of your life. So make it your goal to serve and glorify God where he has placed you. He can and he will. Are you in? Lord, we praise you. Lord, I pray that you fix our eyes back to you. In the midst of our circumstances, that we not lose focus of who's on the throne. Lord, I pray that you surround us with community that point us back to you. And Lord, more than ever, I pray that your commandments be written on our hearts and that we take them more seriously than we ever have. Understanding that they're not just commandments for church, but they're commandments for everyday living. Lord, I pray that you humble us to understand that you're going to do what you need to do. And it's a lot easier to say yes than to keep fighting it. Lord, will you let us see you this week? Will you let us see what you're calling us to? What our next step is? And Lord, will you give us the courage to say yes? We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for victory. It's in your son's beautiful, precious, and holy name that we pray. Amen.